Reference to or information about any specific product or service by name, trade name, trademark, or service mark in this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of that product or service. And now on to the episode. Hello and welcome back to Better Money with Elements Financial. I'm your host, Miranda Finley. I'm a certified financial wellness professional who's worked with thousands of people in all walks of life. And I'm also a real person with real financial experiences. I'll chat from both personal and professional viewpoints to help make your money better. Thanks for joining us for today's episode, where we'll be talking with Tenoria Askew of Tenoria's Table about her work to make good food more accessible to you. Hi, Tenoria. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. How are you? Thanks for having me. I am great. I'm excited to have this conversation. I'm so excited to talk to you about everything you do, which I just want to jump into. So Tenoria, you, I feel like there's nobody better to explain, you know, the spaces that you fill and the things that you do. So you're a personal chef first and foremost, correct? Yes. And you're the founder of Tenoria's Table. So tell us about Tenoria's Table. So Tenoria's Table basically brings the restaurant to your home. Um, I like that. (laughs) Yeah. I, I explain it that way because I do not have a storefront. I don't know if it's ever been a desire of mine. So I help you create delicious memories in your home, whether that's a celebration, a dinner party just for fun. Anytime you're gathering friends around your dinner table, I am there to take the stress off of you from coordinating the food component. And you, you have quite a long background in food, and we're going to dive into that, but um, you kickstarted your personal chef career in a pretty big way, right? Yeah. Nationally, like on national television. I mean, no big deal. It's uh. huge. So you were on MasterChef. Yes. You placed fourth, correct? Chef. So yeah, it. Um, I started Tenorius Table as like a side hustle, and it, my three to five year plan was, I'm going to do this full time in three to five years. And then shortly after I started Tenorius Table, I went on MasterChef and realized that I needed to make it full time in 18 months. That's amazing. And it was just, it just really kickstarted everything for you. Um, Gordon Ramsay, is he really everything he's cracked up He's to be? So dreamy. <laughs> he's so I dreamy. Yeah, he, he like his eyes are like the ocean and he smells amazing. Um, but what's really great about him, like, yes, when it comes to food, don't mess up. He's crazy. He, you know, gets out of control. But he really wants you to grow and do better each episode. So when you're not, that's when he gets off the rails. That's wild. What an experience. But since then, you've grown to Noria's Table. Um, you've created like a really large market for yourself here in Indianapolis. I know. I feel like I see you out and about everywhere. And I feel I like see I myself, run myself. <laughs> and it's weird. Yes. I feel like I constantly run into people there. I, I mean, I was at my hometown bookshop not too long ago, and I pick up a copy of your cookbook, which we're going to be featuring today. And she was like, oh, I love Tenoria. And I was like, wait, <laughs> I know Tenoria. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just feel like you're everywhere. So uh, what are a couple um, of recent things that you've been working on um, and other projects that you have? Yeah, so I am promoting my book, Staples Plus Five. So I've um, recently did a cooking demo and book signing at Wild East Bookshop. I'm doing one soon, mid-September at Indie Reads Books, which is the Indianapolis independent bookstore. Um, My podcast co-host and I will be representing our podcast, Black Girls Eating, at the Gang Gang Butter Art Fair on Labor Day weekend. So we'll be doing a live podcast recording there. 
So, and that's really cool because I also got to collaborate with another, another local uh, restaurant in Indy, Ash and Elm, and their cider. And so there is an apple butter cider that's going to be featured at the art fair. Um, and I know racial injustice, you label yourself as a racial injustice change maker and that you've spent a lot of time in that space, um, you know, a lot of labor and love um, and growth in that area for you. And I'm sure for, you know, for the people that you bring along with you on that journey, um, it's just a joy. I know I've been following your social media for a long time and the number of things that I've learned from you third party just by hearing your experience and hearing the experience of other people through you has been phenomenal. Um, And I know a lot of that comes naturally to you, right? Because uh, a little bit of background of you is that you had a credit union history, right? And you Mm -hmm. ended up training. And so kind of carrying people along and bettering people and helping develop people was something that you did historically. And you've been able to carry that through in some ways that really matter to you, right? Yeah, yeah. I was fortunate enough to have that experience being the diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner at the credit union, um, won awards, got to really help build the initiative there. Um, and I say that I've created my dream job now, although I do not dream to work. <laughs> but, um, I, you know, nourish people's bodies with food in that I'm a personal chef, but I'm also like an encourager and an empowerer to get in the kitchen and feed yourself. But then also I nourish souls with justice by talking about social justice issues and really kind of being a resource for people. I feel like it is not my job to hold anyone's hand on their journey towards inclusion, equity, and anti-racism. Like, I am not here to cuddle you through the process, but if I can be a, a step on that journey to open up more resources, to open eyes, then I feel like my job is done. Absolutely. And I can say from my position, I've definitely, I've just learned so much from you. So thank you for the work you do in that area. It's very impactful. I know that you have um, some consultancy that you do for individuals and companies through your program, Anti-Racist Journey. And then also you've been a part of initiatives dating back to those credit union days. So you were a part of Unity Tables, which was designed for women to maybe of different backgrounds, socioeconomic backgrounds, different races to come together to talk about Um, some of those differences and more often some of those things that really can bring you together and and those commonalities. Um, And then you're currently the DEI chairperson of Slow Food Indie, right? Yeah. That's amazing. So you just got so much going on. Um, So I do want to focus in on Staples Plus 5 today. And I I think this is going to be an excellent resource for our listeners. Tell us about Staples Plus 5, the cookbook. Yeah. So Staples Plus 5 came from my background in cooking. I say that I come from the Culinary Institute of my parents and grandparents. They taught me everything I know about cooking and everything in our house was made from scratch, specifically in my grandmother's kitchen. My brother and I spent time there in the summers and I just watched her go to Miss Henry's garden and pick fresh produce, bring it home and pull out staples, flour, rice, canned beans, canned or dried pasta, different things like that and make magic with meals. And even now I will eat something and be like, nope, that doesn't taste like my grandma's or nope, that doesn't taste like my mom's. And I watched the same thing with my mom. Um, We always had accidental Sunday guest after church on Sunday because my dad was always inviting random people over to our house and my mom would prepare the meals before church. And so she would have to go in the kitchen and make magic to make enough to feed everyone that was accidentally invited. 
And she would use her pantry staples to make enough for everyone to have food and take some home. And it was just, I was very fascinated with that's how we had community in our house all the time. The same with my grandparents. When someone passed away, when someone was sick, when someone was celebrating something, the church would rely on my grandmother as one of the people to feed the community. So people were always stopping by, getting food from her. And so that's really where Staples Plus Five came from, was recognizing that you can make the most of the things that you have in your pantry and then adding that up to five additional ingredients. Those are your perishable items, your produce, your proteins, things like that. And it really is just basic fundamental cooking. And I hope that Staples Plus Five has translated to people, yep, I can open up my pantry and just make something. And in Staples Plus Five, you detail that. So you detail exactly what you feel like every pantry needs Mm -hmm. to be your staples. Mm And then each of those recipes, like you said, adds up to five ingredients that you can add to your pantry staples to make that um, magic in their own households. I I love that you're just equipping people with that information. So you're talking about building those fundamentals and that foundation. Um, So we have the staple ingredients, so we know what those are. But you know, the the hump of, of getting into the kitchen and making it something enjoyable at the end of a long day um, or, you know, when you're just at capacity in other areas, I think sometimes is a huge hurdle for people. Fundamentally, how do we build some other things to make that easier for ourselves? I feel like first and foremost, people being afraid of the kitchen. I think that that is the stress of a busy day and also just not knowing the basics And when I say basics, that list of the 35 staple items, which can be different for different people, different diets, different appetites, different cultures. So knowing what your your baseline of staples are, knowing basic cooking method um, and basic equipment. I don't feel like people need to go out and buy an avocado peeler. You can use a knife. (laughs) I don't feel like people need to go out and buy a cherry pitter. Hey, you can use a straw. And so not feeling like you have to be consumed with buying all the things and just having those basic, I say a cast iron skillet, a cutting board, a knife and a bowl, and you can make a meal. And so having that basic knowledge will make you feel better equipped to then start to tie things together in the kitchen. Well, and and I think, too, some of the hurdles that I see people have is that you need to get everything at once, right? So as you're building on those basics, as you're building on your staples, um, you know, know, we've talked about how there was a, a time in my life where recipe after recipe after recipe that I was making required a zester. And I was like, why am I zesting so much? It's just I'm zesting for every single meal, which adds so much to the meal, right? And finally, I, you know, I bit the bullet, went out, added that one simple thing to the staples because it was something that I had proved time and time and time again that I needed. Right. And now it, it's part of that foundational, um, you know, part of my kitchen. So that that can be helpful. You can do one thing at a time. Yes. And if you prove that you need something or you don't have something that can fill that place, Mm -hmm. like I didn't have something that was easy to zest. Um, Yeah. So it can make it a lot easier if you just think about it one thing at a time. And then that foundational knowledge, where do you where do you recommend people get that? Staples plus five. (laughs) 
Um, I, I mean, Staples Plus Five really is great in that it is made for any socioeconomic status. So anyone can afford this book as well as the ingredients in the book. There are, I have a library of cookbooks and I love them all, but some of them I hardly ever crack open because even myself as a personal chef, it's ingredients that I know would be a waste of money for me. I don't want to buy it for that one ingredient. Um, and I don't, you know, maybe I don't use it enough. And so Staples Plus Five is going to give you basic technique as well as a basic baseline of the things that you need in your kitchen. But in addition to that, I just feel like gleaning that basic fundamental knowledge is also, I'm going to encourage people, it's not on TikTok. <laughs> it's, while social media is great and it's, it's good for inspiration, I watch those things to kind of get my creative juices flowing. But it really is like Julia Child mastering the art of French cooking. I'm not saying you got to go out and cook like Julia Child because her recipes are complex. Right. But to understand that there, um, a conversation that you and I had before, that salad dressing doesn't come in a bottle. Yes. It doesn't necessarily come from a factory. It came from someone making it ahead of time. Yes. And so kind of doing your own research, doing your own homework. I don't think everyone has to be a food expert. Not everyone's going to be as passionate about food as I am, but just kind of making the effort to get the baseline education on your own beyond TikTok hacks. Well, and if you have those foundations and, and this pulling back to that conversation we had previously, if you have those foundational things in your kitchen and you've built a little bit over time of some of the knowledge you have, I have found a way to make things, you know, like taco seasoning. I didn't have the prepackaged taco seasoning and I was already cooking the turkey for my tacos. And I was like, oh no, what am I going to do? And I pulled up my seasoning drawer and I had everything it took to yes. make taco seasoning. And just, it didn't even occur to me not to buy it. So my background in food is very different than, than the background you, the whole good food was not something we typically had it. Everything came from a box and I had to unlearn that like potatoes didn't come instant like you could actually just make potatoes and sometimes it's not always easier and not always less expensive to go the processed or box route absolutely absolutely and I know that we've talked about like you can do a hundred things with a potato right yes yeah <laughs> so a bag of potatoes is usually going to cost you anywhere between two to seven dollars depending on how many pounds you're buying and you can make mashed potatoes with that you can make homemade french fries which homemade french fries are so much better than any <laughs> other french fry there's a recipe in staples plus five um you can make mashed potatoes homemade french fries you can make um latkes you can make homemade hash browns you can do so many things with that bag of potatoes that turns out to be cheaper than buying a packet of instant potatoes I think that's amazing. And once you kind of discover that and you've built that foundation, you give yourself a little bit of room to grow on that. Um, it can be really rewarding um, and end up saving you labor and money and time in the long run. I know that um, another thing people might come across when it comes to that, that fundamental and that foundation in your kitchen is the relationship that they either have with food or that they have with cooking. So on Black Girls Eating, your podcast, you shared that at a point in your 20s, you realize a pretty important thing about food. Would you be willing to share that? Yeah, that I fell in love with food as much as food loved me. And that could totally sound like I have a unhealthy relationship with food. But really what 
I learned at that time was that food was community for me. It's how I connected to other people. It's honestly how I made friends. I was like, hey, I'm getting ready to cook. You want to come over? Um, so I, I recognize what food did for me and community and relationship. And that encouraged me to also pay attention to what food was doing for my body. And so once I kind of navigated those waters, I realized, okay, food's my jam. We're going to be friends and I am going to use it as a tool for myself and for the people around me. I think that's incredible. So hopping into a few cost-saving measures, um, you know, having those basics and and learning um, over time to build that into your kitchen. I want to talk about like meal planning and grocery shopping and how in the long run by creating that foundation, you can end up saving money over time. So what tips do you have for people when it comes to that? I think paying attention to what you're buying in bulk It's not often that in my household I am buying a bag of mixed greens from Costco because we all know that we buy those to send them to their death, right? (laughs) Right. Let's just be honest. Pre-mixed salad. I am like patting myself on the back when I finish a container of any kind of greens. Um, So I'm not going to buy those from Costco. I'm going to buy the smaller pack. I may even find myself buying them once a week, but it's that fresh food. But my rice I buy it from Costco. I buy a 25 pound bag of rice and it lasts me all year, if not longer. I'm paying attention to my expiration dates, but that's going to go, that's going to stretch longer. That makes more sense. So you don't have to go to Costco and buy everything in bulk just because you see it. It's not economically practical to do that with everything, but um, your flour, your rice, maybe even canned tomatoes, because I'm always talking about being particular about what canned items you buy, canned tomatoes, some canned vegetables, depending upon how you're using them. I would still recommend frozen over canned, Uh, canned beans. Those things are great to have on your shelf. They have a long shelf life. Go ahead and buy them in bulk. But I am not going to spend a ton of money on lots of different dairy products in bulk because they're going to go bad. Right. Well, and you feel that way about a lot of protein too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I always say that I like to buy my proteins from happy cows and happy chickens. And that's just the, the animals that have been loved on. They, it, one, it helps our community. It helps our ecosystem as well as it's good for our bodies. And so there are some things when you see certain proteins on sale, that you use often, sure, buy them. But most of the time, we have been conditioned, especially from older generations, I'm thinking like the boomer generation, they bought everything in bulk, including protein, stuck them in the freezer, and then six months to 12 months later, you're throwing them away because they've been freezer burned. So you're wasting money. So I buy my proteins typically as I need them. That makes sense to me. And I love the idea that if you have those staples and occasionally if you need to replace those, but if you bought those staples in bulk and you're kind of keeping up with all of those things that you should have in your pantry that you recommend, Mm -hmm. that sounds like grocery shopping would be so much easier that way because then you only have a few select items. You can go to Staples Plus 5, look at those the base of the recipes that you're making. You already have half of it. Yep. And then on top of it, you just need to get your protein and a couple veggies. Exactly. And in some of those instances, like you talked about, maybe you don't have a bag of onions, but something that I always keep in my house is a bag of like frozen diced onions, either from onions that like I was going to let go bad that I diced and put in there 
or just spending, you know, the dollar to get a bag of diced onions just to have to for those nights that I'm at capacity and I want an actual good meal instead of ordering DoorDash mm-hmm. again um, <laughs> that I can just instead of chopping for years and years, I can just throw into my recipe. So, you know, make it easy, um, you know, work smarter, not harder in some instances. And I love that you said sometimes your bag of frozen diced onions can be just the onion scraps that you had left over because I can't tell you how many times I've used an onion for dinner and then forgot about it, didn't go back to it and started another onion. And then that original one just died in my freezer or my fridge. Yeah. So that that's another thing that will kind of keep you comfortable in the kitchen is dice your produce ahead of time. Um, I always say buy store your produce the way you buy it. And so if you see an onion that has not been cut, it should be on the counter, not the fridge or in a cool, dry place. But once you cut it, go ahead and dice it up because it's not going to last much longer. Dice it up, throw it in the fridge. That way it's there and you haven't wasted the onion. The same with like tomatoes. We shouldn't keep our tomatoes in the fridge unless we're really trying to extend the shelf life. And so buy your tomatoes, keep them in a cool, dry place. And then once you cut it, dice it, turn it into salsa, whatever the case may be. The same thing, a Costco rotisserie chicken is my jam. (laughs) I just bought one yesterday and I made these really amazing sandwiches for dinner. But with the rest of that chicken, the bones and all of that, I'm going to take that and I'm keeping that in a freezer bag with the... um, root ends of my onions, the root ends of my celery, the scraps from my carrots. I'm going to throw all that in the pot and make chicken stock. Nothing's going to waste. And then I'm saving money by not going out and buying stock. And so it's, it is like this cyclical thing that if you are paying attention to what you're doing with your food, you really can stretch things and save money. Well, and I know something that you have done in the past at home, too, is you challenge yourself like once a week to take things from your fridge Mm -hmm. and make something Mm -hmm. of just those things you have left. Um, Is that something that you still do pretty frequently? I just did that this week on accident, but it really was. I was relying on my staples. I had dried pasta. I say that Parmesan cheese is a staple because it has a very long shelf life. So I had Parmesan cheese. I had a jar of artichokes, even if you had frozen artichokes. I had some produce that I had bought last week, some broccoli that was getting ready to be on its last leg. And I had some chicken stock. And I judged that up, basically. And I did. I made magic and made a meal. And so by me knowing the basics of I'm going to use pasta water to help build a sauce, I am going to season um, my onions and garlic because I always have onions and garlic. That doesn't even count as an ingredient. It's a standard. Um, So I'm going to season my onions and garlic from the beginning to start to build flavors and develop that flavor profile. Oh, look, I have a lemon. I'm going to throw that in there, too. I cook what I like to eat. And so I like lemony things. I like, um, you know, garlicky things. So just play, just play around with those things. And that's how you start adding constants to your tool belt. Yeah. And it's okay to fail, right? It's okay if not, like not every recipe you try or everything you throw together is going to be a home run, but you'll know for the next time. Absolutely. Being in the kitchen is a confidence booster for me because I now know because of all of the practice, I know now, I now know how to recover after I've failed. 
Prior to that, I had no idea what I was doing. I can tell you about times that I was standing in my kitchen crying with the pie crust in front of me, banging the rolling pin on the counter because I couldn't get it right. But now I can close my eyes and roll out a pie crust perfectly. And so not being afraid to get in the kitchen, letting go of the frustration, relaxing. If you need to have a glass of wine when you're cooking and that relaxes you, if you need to put on music, I mean, guaranteed, I have church with Beyonce in the kitchen. (laughs) And so if you need to do those things to get you in a better mindset to cook, you will be better for it in the long run. Yeah, I love that you said it's a confidence boost. That's something I've experienced in the last couple of years with things maybe not being as readily available or when we were staying at home a lot more frequently, we had to make do with what we had in the house. Mm-hmm. And the few times that I was like, man, I'm craving chocolate chip cookies and knew that I didn't want to run to the grocery store to get the roll of yep. you know chocolate chip cookies to cut and to put onto the baking sheet. When I tell you how good I felt that I had all of the things I needed to actually make chocolate chip cookies from scratch. Mm -hmm. My husband still makes fun of me to this day that when I make something from a recipe, he'll be like, did you make this with ingredients? Like it didn't come from a box. And I'm like, yes, I did. Um, And luckily he's easy to please. But um, what do you think when you're shopping? um, What is worth the splurge? What's not? How do you define that? Especially if you're feeling a little pinched by some of the rise of costs and goods that we're experiencing what do you feel like is worth it and what's not um and does that differ maybe with with everybody's personal situation yeah i feel like if you are selective on your organic items like um typically your produce that has a tough skin you can shy away from having to buy them organic berries that you're eating the skin greens that you're actually taking at home and washing and eating it you're probably going to want to focus on organic if that's in your price point. Proteins. I say get the proteins that are made from, if you can, a local farmer because you're putting money back into the economy. Once you build a relationship with them, they'll probably cut you a deal. And you know that those animals were treated properly. The proteins were processed properly. And so if you can afford to do those kinds of things, it does kind of turn into this cycle of saying, okay, I'm spending a little bit more money, but I'm putting it back into the economy. I'm building relationships. I'm supporting other small businesses, which really should be like the driver of our economy. Do you feel like there's anything mentally with, um, like I know sometimes if I have more skin in the game financially, it makes me more cognizant to use the thing. So if I've spent over, you know, if I've spent a, a great example is if I bought an item of clothing or an accessory that is a higher price point, right? It makes me more cognizant and using that and using it well. Do you feel like buying, you know, local food and maybe things that are a little bit a higher price point makes you more aware of using that and using it well? Absolutely. First of all, you're going to notice that it tastes different. It may even cook a little different. And so you're going to pick up on that taste. I remember the first time I had my mother-in-law try a um, cage-free, humanely raised happy chicken egg. And she was like, I don't know if I can ever go back. I can never go back to like the basic eggs. And so you're going to notice the taste and all of that kind of difference. Um, you're, you're probably going to feel a little different too, which can be um, a long-term investment in your health. You're probably going to feel a little different too. But then also if you are going to the farmer's market 
and buying it, that's also a relationship that you're building. So yeah, there's lots of different variables that tie into that while also recognizing that not everyone is able to do that. I think what we're giving to people that have a need that we can fill, we need to be mindful what we're giving and how we're giving as well. There was a time that I worked for, or I volunteered with an organization called Food for Souls, and they actually drive around the city to the different homeless camps and prepare meals for them and feed them. And it was like, why can't they have, um, I think I made like a, a homemade barbecue pulled chicken and um, like a pasta salad. And it was like, why do we have to feed them a jar of pasta sauce and a box of spaghetti? Why can't they have good quality food? They need that far more than we do, honestly. And so I think being mindful of how we're contributing to the people who can't afford it makes a big difference as well. Yeah, and I think that segues perfectly into the next thing we want to talk about and thinking a little bit more long term um, in that. You know, in the long run, eating and buying whole real food up front, um, you know, there can be a couple hurdles with that, um, particularly financial ones um, that people might experience. But if you do that and you nourish your body differently now, Mm -hmm. then in the long run, you might see lower costs when it comes to your health care because, you know, with convenience food with processed foods, a lot of times those can overly contribute to some healthcare issues that you might experience, especially as you age. So being more cognizant of that upfront, it can help you in the long run. But, you know, like you mentioned, accessibility is a huge piece of that. And having access to whole real food is not something that everybody is afforded. And particularly here in Indianapolis, um, WTHR released that a study in 2018 showed that at least 20% of Indianapolis residents live inside what is called a food desert. So an area that is disproportionately affected by not having grocery stores and um, places that are not fast food or convenience stores. So those areas where the nearest grocery store is more than a mile away is considered a food desert and that uh, impacts 200,000 people in Indianapolis alone. Um, So I know there are a few initiatives to kind of help that accessibility. Mm -hmm. Would you talk about a couple that you know of? Yeah, people don't realize, um, actually, Indianapolis is one of the largest food deserts in the nation. And when I just drive up and down one of the main roads through our city, 38th Street, if you start on the far west end of 38th Street and go all the way until as far east as it goes, um, and it kind of runs through Indianapolis, there's only six grocery stores total. I think about places like Cleo's Bodega, for example, They are um, close to 38th Street on the west side of Indianapolis. They are an inner city bodega that has um, partnered with Flanner House, who has a farm, and they are selling produce and groceries to provide more access. And so people who can afford the groceries need to make the trip to Cleo's and buy their groceries there to put money in Cleo's and Flanner House's pocket so they can provide more free resources to the people who need them. Um, I think about Lawrence Community Farm. They are a farm on the east side of Indianapolis in one of the food desert areas. And we want people to go to that farm. I think they are um, a part of a farmer's market once a month. And it's like, go stock up from them so that they can put more seeds in the soil and provide more food 
for people that they're, you know, giving it away. The, the woman that started it, oh gosh, her name is, is, I think it's Sharon. I could be wrong. But the woman that started it, she started it because she recognized that the only food option in her community was a liquor store or the dollar store. And they didn't have any fresh food. Maybe you would see a banana or an apple or lemon or a lime at the liquor store, but that was it. At a much higher cost, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. So it's like, let's start feeding people. And she just started creating a garden and telling people, come get some food. Just come get it. Um, so yeah, places and spaces like that. Slow Food Indie, I'm on their board. And one of the great things about Slow Food Indie is that we spend time going to these farms, learning about what they're doing, and then trying to expose people to all of the different farming programs in the city um, in hopes that people will go make friends, build relationships, learn about what they do, and then start spending their dollars there. I know a few additional resources I was able to find through the Indie Food Policy, um, our Lyft Grocery Access Program, which allows Lyft, um, has a, a particular program that greatly reduces and or makes your ride free to get to a grocery store if you're in a food desert. The Neighborhood Food Champions um, and then some mobile food markets also make their way around those areas. So if you're in a place um, either in Indianapolis or if you're one of our nationwide listeners and you are in um, a food desert, then look at some of those local markets, look at some of those places. There are going to be organizations in your area like Slow Food Indy or the Indy Food Policy that are designed specifically to help you where you're at um, with what you're affected by. This has been such an incredible conversation and I've enjoyed learning from you. Where can people hear more about what you're doing, Tenoria? Yeah, I am all over the interwebs as Tenoria's table. It's one in two hours. I'm sorry, my mom did not name me Susie Smith. <laughs> but if you just Google Tenoria, you can find me. I spend most of my time. I provide most resource on Instagram. Um, but you can go to my website to inquire about dinner parties, to inquire about DEI consultation, all that jazz. Um, and then you can also listen to my podcast, Black Girls Eating. It's a conversation about sisterhood, justice, and well-seasoned food. Such a good lesson. And I know um, somewhere available on one of the streaming services, my mom was able to track down your season of MasterChef. And yes, watch it's the on Hulu. Thing. Yes. <laughs> she was texting me about it. She was like, you're going to meet her? And I was like, yes. <laughs> so um, check out that um, on your streaming services. Yes. Um, don't forget to pick up your copy of Staples Plus 5 by Tenoria Askew to help you build those um, key pieces in your kitchen and kind of overcome um, some of that one thing at a time, just learning one thing at a time. I have tried my hand at a couple of recipes and I will say it takes, you know, it takes some confidence to do it, but you make it really easy. You spell everything out um, and I've really enjoyed it. We have, um, we have a giveaway that we're going to do for Yay! listeners. So make sure that you email us at bettermoney@elements.org with the subject line Staples Plus 5 to be entered for a chance to win. Include your name and phone number and then all emails to win with that subject line of Staples Plus 5 need to be entered by October 21st of um, 2022. No purchase necessary to win. You have to be 18 or older to enter, and your odds of winning depend on entries received. Additional restrictions may apply. And for full contest rules, visit elements.org slash bettermoney or read the description of this podcast episode. 
Tenoria, thank you so thank much you. for being here. It was a joy to have you. And thank you for joining us on this episode of Better Money with Elements Financial as we talked with Tenoria. We hope that you were able to take away something from this to help make your money better. Find more episodes at elements.org slash better money on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review. And as always, reach out to us at bettermoney at elements.org with any questions. Till next time. 